2: Hey, thanks for being with us here on Reppin. Our guest today was named One to Watch in 2019 by People Magazine, and she was listed as one of the 11 Asian American comics who need to be on your 2020 radar by Entertainment Weekly. Born in Shanghai, China, she and her family immigrated and put roots down in California. And upon graduation, she joined AMP Radio 97.1, where Carson Daly took her under his wing and helped her hone her craft. From there, she did some work with the improv group, Upright Citizens Brigade, writing and creating characters. Most notably, Lil Tasty, which has received over 20 million views online. She performs regularly at the world-renowned Laugh Factory, The Ice House, Hollywood Improv. She's also open for Arsenio Hall and Ronnie Chang. And I Love Dick. The 2017 Amazon series, starring Kevin Bacon and Katherine Hahn, was where she got her big break. Currently, you can see her as Alice Kwan on Freeform's hit Good Trouble. Today, we've got Sherry Cola. Sherry Cola, thank you for being here today. You're a multifaceted talent. You're a comedian, you're a writer a radio host, an actor. Girl, you're busy. So thank you for making time for us.
3: Thanks for having me, first and foremost. And you are my goddess. And <laughs> I i truly want to do it all. You know, even growing up, I always thought life was too short for just one dream. Of course, that can be a blessing and a curse because <laughs> then I'm so scattered that it took me until my late 20s to actually get my shit together you know what I mean so because truly you know in my early 20s I wanted to be a rapper I wanted to do comedy I was doing campus radio I was so all over the place which also was good there's a whole bunch of pros and cons there but the point is I always thought why not do everything under the sun if it so pleases you
2: absolutely but you know what you, you talk about getting your shit together at 20 honey there's a lot of people in their 50s that don't have their shit together so
3: <laughs> very true very true and hey better late than never you know damn right in high school i did a bunch of things that are pretty much in this lane you know things that i was passionate about making people laugh i was hosting talent shows i was making funny videos because i was part of this film club but truly i don't know why i i just I didn't think it was a possibility to pursue as an end game, you know? I mean, maybe it's the lack of representation. I sometimes blame it on that because you think it's not for you. You know, that yeah. world isn't for Asian faces. And and especially because I'm an immigrant, I always had this foreigner feeling, you know, of, yeah. oh, well, TV and film, that's for Americans. You know what I mean? It's yeah. interesting. It's not until now that we realize how much it's, it was missing. Anyway, so... Of course, dabbled in radio in college, and the rest was history, essentially. Well,
2: let's back that up a little, because you opened a lot of doors of things that I want to talk about. First and foremost, I mean, you're on a hit show, Good Trouble, that got renewed. Congratulations. Yes.
3: <sighs> Season three, baby. We're coming. That's right.
2: Tell us a little bit more about Good Trouble, and of course, your, your character, Alice Kwan.
3: Before I put good trouble, I I mean, I'm pretty green in the biz if we're going to be 100%. You know, I'm the first to say that I've only been really technically professionally in this industry for maybe three ish years, you know, maybe even three years. Amazing. Um, And I've been really, really lucky. Of course, on top of hard work, you know, in the hustle. But with Good Trouble, it kind of just felt like the stars aligned. First of all, I was so touched to even see the description of this character. You know, the fact that these people wanted to see this person on screen first generation, Asian American, like manager of this apartment complex, aspires to be a stand up, lesbian, not out to her parents. I was like, wow, this is so specific. And so on brand, like it just felt right. You know what I mean? Right. So after two, three auditions, I mean, you know, as we got deeper in the process, I told myself, I need to book this. Like truly this character is important. This character is, uh, was invisible in my entire upbringing. So basically Alice is a-, a manager of the Coterie, which is this community, like communal living situation with this melting pot, diverse group of people who believe in different things, who have you know very uh messy lifestyles truly it's about people in their 20s who are just relatable because that in itself is such a roller coaster you know balancing relationships you know discovering yourself and we meet alice as she's kind of still in love with her ex-girlfriend who is also her best friend and you see her being taken advantage of and you see alice Kind of bottling her emotions and and maybe throwing a joke out here and there and you uh, you know a lot of people keep saying Alice you're so funny Alice you should do stand up she eventually does stand up in in the second season and we're gonna continue that storyline but in the first season she was very much in the closet especially from her parents and it's fascinating and I feel like it's such an eye opener to see her go to bizarre lengths just to hide who she is. And this is something that happens in real life because in immigrant families and, you know, Asian families, of course, I can't speak for every single household, but it's weird to talk about dating, let alone sexuality. You know what I mean? So Alice (laughs) is juggling this secret life, you know, and it, it really unfolds beautifully in the season finale of season one. Spoiler, Alice eventually comes out. And it's refreshing because her parents already knew and they were the last people you would think would still love her and would still accept her. You know, it it honestly truly was so emotional because this is the kind of stuff we need on TV. And because it wasn't on TV, that perpetuated narrow mindedness. That's literally why queer people of color or queer uh, people of immigrant parents are so Scared to come out. Basically, the more we show characters like me, the more we give people like me opportunities to yeah. be on screen, the more we can open these minds. And, you know, another Asian mom who might be old fashioned can see this show and realize, oh, okay, maybe I can be down with having a gay child. A little goes a long way. Yeah, that's why I feel like playing Alice is so, so crucial to all of the communities. <laughs> you said it perfectly.
2: Being Asian, and this might happen in some other cultures as well, but you really don't talk about your personal life, even if you're straight. So forget being gay. So there's still a lot of conversation that needs to happen there. And you said something in a previous interview that made my heart hurt, but you were right. You said that, you know, it wasn't that long ago where the punchline was a shot of the Asian person reacting. Oh,
3: absolutely. Absolutely.
2: So let me take that a step further and break that down even more. Seeing any gay character or stories on television really only happened mm, like maybe the last 20, 30 years. So not that long ago. Then on top of that, Asians on television, again, not many on screen, small or large. Now we have your character, Alice Kwan, a gay Asian woman, a part of an ensemble cast as a series regular and she's a fully developed character. How does that impact you when you sit back and reflect on that?
3: I personally, Sherry Cola, live life trying to break stereotypes all the time. And, you know, that is because like we are seen as people who apologize so much and of course i can i can have those moments as well i want to take care of people and i don't want to piss people off sure (laughs) you know i mean that's just in our blood maybe not some others but you know what (laughs) um but but i i mean there's so much to cover uh (laughs) but with alice like i think it's just dope that she can also just be a human being i think what's so amazing about these stories that we're telling for example Crazy Rich Asians, at the end of the day it's a solid rom-com. The Farewell uh, even though it's so culturally specific, it Is a universal concept. Family. Of, yeah, family and just grandma being the OG on all that stuff. You know, I think we're slowly convincing the world, and I think they've realized that we do have stories to tell in a way where we can be taken seriously, whether we're sexy, whether we're funny, whether we're dramatic. I'm excited because this is definitely not a trend. Like, we are absolutely here to stay. And I'm just excited to even be part of this generation that happens to, you know, not only witness, but be walking along this journey of representation and kind of really changing the game. Truly and Alice, is, it's, it's cool that Alice is part of that group, you know?
2: What's really great about your character in Good Trouble and also a, a film like Crazy Rich Asians and even The Farewell, even though, again, it's culturally specific, Asian people were not a device to further right. a plot point. To be seen as just human is Really tremendous. But I also wanted to go back and get a little bit more personal. You came here at four from Shanghai. Yes. So talk about what it was like growing up, uh, coming over in the States. Uh You and I have some differences here in the sense that I was born here, but I don't know how different that would be. And I'm I'm curious to hear. You and your family immigrated to California. Uh My parents settled in a borough of New York. Talk about what it was like for you to immigrate here and, and grow up in California.
3: So you're right. I, I was, quote unquote, lucky enough to land in an area that was pretty Asian. I mean, I went to Alhambra first and it, was, it wasn't was that that Asian. Now it's definitely really Asian, the 626 and Gabriel Valley. But when I grew up, it was more so. I still felt like like, in my circle of friends, you know, I I had people in, in elementary school calling me Chino. You know what I mean? I think it was still very evident that I was different, right. even though there were other Asians. You know what I mean? But I remember, you know, just little occurrences that kind of reminded me that I was foreign was, you know, one of my neighbors when I was younger flipped me off, gave me the middle finger. And I was like, huh, what is that? Like, right. I had no idea what that meant. You know, I'm like, okay. So then I ended up doing it to my mom's coworker and quickly found out what it meant (laughs) the hard way. (laughs) But little things like that, like reminded me of, oh, okay, I'm a newcomer. Like, I don't know what's going on. But then like slowly, as I got older, there were more Asians. I eventually moved to Temple City and, you know, actually did have quite an eclectic group of friends overall, you know what I mean? But yeah, there were a lot of Asians it wasn't like, yeah, I wasn't dropped into the middle of Ohio. So there were still faces that looked like me where I grew up.
2: How did that feel for you? Because for me, I was lucky to grow up in uh, uh, the suburbs of New York, but I also still felt different because there weren't mm-hmm. many people that looked like me at all. My lunches were different. I dressed different. Sure. I looked different, obviously. All of those subtleties actually ran quite deep. For you, what were some of those challenges that you faced? Because those were formative years. Sure. But we had an additional layer of just being Asian and just culturally different. I wasn't allowed to do sleepovers because that wasn't something my parents really understood. Absolutely. For you, tell me a little bit about some of the challenges you faced and how do you think it shaped you?
3: It's funny, I was just having a conversation with my dad yesterday about this. Let's say high school, for example, in middle school, there were a lot of Asian faces around me. I didn't feel like a fish out of water in that sense. But for me, Sherry, I absolutely felt like a fish out of water in the sense that, oh, I'd never wore makeup. You know, all these girls were so cute and all about, you know, dr- drawing their eyebrows, <laughs> making them super thin, etc. whatever was hot, dyeing their hair, which, no, of course, there was nothing wrong with it. Wearing wedges to school, like, you know, I mean, just things that I I never grasped you know I don't know if it was just being innately a tomboy or or truly my mom was never really you know dressy dressy my mom was working hard trying to pay the damn bills to support her daughter you know like she wasn't really really getting dolled up every day so I don't know if it was because of that but I just naturally did not wear makeup yeah I wasn't for the lack of better phrasing like beauty savvy so that was one big thing that That made me feel really different because all my friends were really hot. You know, all the guys wanted to hit on them. They were the the cool kids in school. And I was kind of just there. I had a conversation with my dad yesterday. I love my dad so much. He really wanted to embrace America, like to the T. He wanted me to get my ears pierced, but he wanted me to like uh, get my eyebrows waxed, like things that you were quote unquote supposed to do. And I genuinely just was not down for it, you know? So cut to yesterday. I'm like at my dad's house. I showed him an old picture of one of, of me and my friend in ninth grade. And it is insane how gorgeous I am in that fucking photo. And I did not realize it. And I thought it was so ugly. Meanwhile, my friend next to me, bless her heart had the most ridiculous <laughs> look but that was attractive at that time Evelyn it's right. insane and and that was like pretty and that's what the boys liked and in that picture i felt so self-conscious and so unbelievably not enough but i'm wa- looking at this photo i'm literally going to text it to you right now yeah i'm looking at this photo and i am in shock that i am a gorgeous natural fucking dime piece like truly <laughs> like and i'm only saying this because i was just i was in shock
1: Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were. And it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But...
3: It, it, look at this picture. Can you even believe? Oh, dude. Oh, yeah. You Can you believe? Can you believe? The others are... Uh, I'll say... Uh. The one to my right. Yeah. Well, she, is she drunk? No. The one to my right. The one with the bangs. No. <laughs> the one with the the, yeah, the thin no. eyebrows. And... You're, a, you're no, she's not drunk. We're literally in school. <laughs> There's lockers behind us. I don't know. No, There's no some people drunk. that it's ate drunk. glue and drank. I don't know. But my point is, at that time, that... I felt not the same if we're looking at this picture and I don't, we can't show the world because they don't want me to post it in life. If we were to like show this as a graphic, To attach to this podcast. But at that time, I did not think I was cute. I thought my friend next to me was a bombshell because guys liked girls like that. I kind of just stayed true. I didn't conform to that. And I'm so stoked about it.
2: Let me just kind of back that up because I can certainly relate to that. I mean, I grew up in a borough, I I grew up in the era of mall hair. (laughs) And being Asian, our hair is very straight. I tried to do all sorts of things with like endless cans of hairspray and like nothing worked. But looking back, I'm really happy it didn't work. And I just sort of stopped trying and I just was myself. But that must've been very challenging for you at that time to feel like you weren't enough. How did you cope with it at the time? What was that turning point?
3: At the time I kind of uh, just kind of went with the flow. You know, there were times where, I definitely didn't feel like I belonged. Like, I was always someone who people knew and, like, were uh, cool with. And, you know, oh, Sherry says the darnest things, you know what right. I mean? And all four years is kind of hard to unpack, especially even sitting in the cafeteria, you know, with who I thought were the cool kids and the, these guys bullying me. One even called me a fat bitch at a point, you know what I mean? And, like, me just putting my head down and crying for the full 30 minutes. And I still regret that till this day because of moments like that it really molded me to speak up and never take shit as much as I can it, little things like that but and then I I was also in marching band I um was in that film club and I was in pep senior year I slowly kind of found my way I had my first boyfriend in senior year he was this very cute you know athlete and You know, we we were adorable and we kind of had, you know, I had my first kiss like eventually from freshman year to senior year. Definitely. There was an evolution. I don't know. You're just in it and you want to be accepted to an extent. But I wasn't really doing all that much to fit in. I mean, peer pressure was real. Sure maybe after high school, really, when when you you really don't have things to keep you busy <laughs> in a weird way, like extracurriculars, for example, you know, I was partying a lot and, you know, kind of just doing it to do it. And, right. you know, in my blood, I'm truly a goody goody through and through. I'm still a goody goody. I mean, I've had my bad days. But at the end of the day, um, I'm a goody goody. I was just going with the flow. Let's say that.
2: I hear you. But when you said I, I have regrets till this day, when that jerk called you a fat bitch what did you regret did you regret not saying something to him that point
3: oh yeah i regret not saying something to him immediately i regret crying in front of him i mean these teenage boys are relentless and think you're weak and think they're the shit when looking back they were a piece of shit you know (laughs) and um i did actually in that era i guess retaliate because the next time that happened something similar to that happened again I don't know how much longer after maybe a month right and I remember one of the guys was sitting across from me and the other guy or one of the other guys this is so ridiculous by the way I can't believe teenage years are so just bizarre but one of them was putting their arm around me Jokingly, because of course, why would anyone put their arm around me seriously? And the other one across from me was taking a picture of it. So I legit just took the phone and I threw it across the cafeteria. in extreme, you know, opposite of what I did the first time. <laughs> and the guy who originally called me a fat bitch, it was his phone, and he threatened to like egg my house. And I just was like, uh, it, it was it was very interesting. It's all you know, it's all blurry, but these are things that do stick out in my mind. Right what i'm doing now it's like what the hell none of that shit mattered i am doing my fucking thing right now right what are these people doing it's honestly like so bizarre but it felt like so big when you're in high school you know your crush your 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 bff this person you want to be friends with etc the world is so much bigger We were adolescents, right?
2: Teenage years, peer pressure is real. It's as real as it comes. And when your world is that, it is as big as it is. Do you find that those experiences, even though you're like, you know, fuck it, it wasn't anything. Do you feel like those sort of helped shape you?
3: absolutely i mean and and honestly uh, to be frank of course you know what i give off uh, is a certain way and truly i am that way but we all we all have weak moments where we cry in the shower and we look in the mirror and feel like you can do better etc and i think uh, in a way faking that funk is necessary because now there are other people relying on my energy and i have to Stay true to this, like, weirdo who will dance in public and just sing out loud at the Grove and do all these things that I, I love doing. Like, screw what people think because that truly is setting an example. You know, there's a lot of people in my DMs so blown away by the fact that they see me not care what people think. And of course we care what people think. You know what I mean? You're human. Yeah, you're human. I almost want to, you know, because I'm all about breaking barriers and breaking that stereotype. I remember I was in line somewhere for something and this lady cut in front of everyone. And I looked and I'm like, huh, no one's saying anything. And it looks like I'm the only Asian person here. So I said something. Because now all 15 people in line will no longer think Asian people don't speak up. And those little things are really important to me. You know, not speaking up in my, you know, early years. Of course that influences that. You know, not feeling like I was enough or not feeling like I was cool. That absolutely, you know, contributes to the confidence that I found, especially looking back on photos like that. I'm like, goodness gracious. Like, what did I have to be self-conscious about? I was a dime piece. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I went from, you know, being soft-spoken and and, uh, as a freshman to being voted most outgoing in the senior yearbook, you know? And it's like, I don't know. I I just, it's, it's, it's anyway, it's all, it's all very interesting. And now now I'm just talking it out with you, but these are really interesting things that I feel like really influenced, um, how, how, and why I am, how I am today. You know,
2: how have you taken all the different things that we may have touched upon culturally speaking, personally speaking, how do you incorporate all of those perspectives, knowing what it feels like being ostracized, the pressures of, and you know, you and I obviously can discuss this at nauseum, I'm sure. And this might be again a sweeping uh, cultural statement, um, but always feeling like you're not enough, or or always feeling like you need to do more. Sure. How do you take all of these experiences with you and bring forth first in your day to day, and
3: also in your work? I think it's first of all, I think it's really important to remind yourself that you truly are enough. I think all the things that I was self-conscious about back then, things that made me weird when people would look at me after I said something like goofy and and they're like, what the heck? Okay. Uh, You know what I mean? Like, you know, typical teenage responses, but I'm like, wow, like these are the things I embrace now. These are, are the things that make me shine, things that make me unique. You know, I think it's very important to just stay true to you I think that's something that I always carry in my work, in my, uh, you know, everyday life. The whole pressure thing, absolutely, you know, especially like a, a character like Alice. Not necessarily pressure, but I felt that it was really necessary for me to live my truth. I, I've talked about this a few times, but I do identify as bisexual in real life. And that was something that, once again, like I said, dating was never talked about, sexuality, not even uh, heard of, you know what I yeah. mean? I never really talked about the fact that I was attracted to both men and women really my whole entire life you know and you know of course I was doing my thing and out here like and my friends knew and sometimes I talked about it in my stand-up so if you caught it you caught it you know what I mean but there's no op-ed anywhere when I booked this role of Alice I'm like okay this might be a potential role model to people portraying this character I can't do it without living my entire truth. So then I ended up sitting my mom down and having a conversation, and telling her that I was bisexual. And of course, the conversation is still not over. It's still, uh, uh, uh you know, she's still grasping all of it. And at the same time, now I get to teach her stuff. Literally, what LGBTQ stands for. You know what I mean? Like right. once again, little by little, by giving actors like me opportunity, by giving characters like Alice a voice we're slowly changing the world but yeah I, I felt like that was really really crucial for me to fully embrace Alice as a character i had to live my truth and kind of be liberated in that sense of course it's easier said than done yeah it's not always butterflies and rainbows like it can be very sad and and sometimes you know these coming out stories and it can be really dark but i feel like Alice's journey is kind of that light at the end of the tunnel showing that kind of scenario where you can be yourself and still be loved.
2: You know, Asian-American representation, it, it just that alone, we still have so much work to do,
3: period. Oh, All right. absolutely. We're not even close. Let, we not even close. Oh
2: no, I know. But let's just put a, a pin in that for a second. Going a hundred thousand steps further, the fact that you are open about being Asian American, being immigrant, being bisexual, being out there and being uh-huh. so comfortable and happy and just a positive light. It's great. And you know, the Asian culture, and certainly this may be true of many other cultures, but needing to be more open about many topics, sexuality being one of them. Right. um, You know, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. So it's great that you're out there doing your thing, being authentic and embracing who you are. But I hope you never feel that pressure of having to be the representative. Because I think as the Asian culture, and again, it's a whole nother, you know, six months of conversation. But I think (laughs) as the Asian community, we always feel the sense of responsibility, the sense of duty. But I, I hope you never feel that Layer of that, you need to be the one to do it.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. I, I I totally, yes. Because we are perfectionists as well. It's like when we do something, we want to be. We want to kill it. We can't half-ass it. We cannot half-ass it. No. And truly, I have this like thing of the whole back to the immigrant thing. Like I came to this country. I cannot let it be for no reason. Yeah. You know, my mom worked her ass off. I need to make some type of difference in this world. Yeah. It's not even about like me feeling the pressure of I need to be. It's like, yo. I want to be. I have to be. You know, it, it's so it's so interesting. I, of course, you know we have lazy days. We're only human, but at the end of the week, <laughs> I truly hope to to keep pushing our community forward and and yeah. be a voice. But yeah, you're right. There's so much work to be done. We are not even close. We've had you know a couple of sprinkles, <laughs> uh, a little dash of sesame, if you will, a little a little dollop of sriracha. Yeah. But if I drive down Sunset Boulevard, the amount of Asian faces is still I mean, the most minimal, specifically on billboards. There's a
2: couple of really important things that I want to hit. How would you define representation?
3: Representation is, uh, if we're talking specifically on screen. I'm talking about overall. I'm going to leave it completely open-ended. Representation is standing up for something, having something to believe in, and representation is... The idea of being seen, truly, you know, growing up with zero representation, I didn't even realize it. So it didn't even exist, which is that part is that's what's the most mind blowing because it wasn't there. I didn't even think it should be there. And then we get a taste of it. Now we realize we've been so gypped. You know what I mean? We've been so gypped. How's this fair? Now we're just so hungry and we want to take over and we we have a lot of making up to do. We wouldn't have had a chance
2: to see somebody like you on screen. Seriously. It's so awesome to see an Asian face and really different faces on screen. You and your work and along with other uh, people that are out there fighting for representation, it ensures that our stories and our voices will be recognized and hopefully valued because before it was unheard of. Right. For our signature sign off. We're asking all of our guests to finish the sentence. Let us know who you are and what you represent.
3: This is Sherry Cola, comedian, stand up, comic, actress, all of the above. And I represent breaking barriers. I represent staying original and I represent proving people wrong.
2: Thanks to Sherry Cola for spending her time with us. Make sure you keep up with her on Twitter and Instagram. Her handles at both platforms is at Sherry Cola. That's S-H-R-R-Y-C-O-L-A. Our next guest is Aaron Carroll. He's a doctor, a healthcare researcher, author of a book titled The Bad Food Bible. He's also a regular contributor at the New York Times, and he's got a popular YouTube channel called Healthcare Triage, covering the healthcare system and really all things healthcare. Find out what he has to say about our system and his thoughts on the coronavirus. I'm Aaron Carroll, and don't miss my episode of Rebin coming on next. Rebin can be found on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcast, and all top podcast platforms. So subscribe, share, and leave a review. And talk to us on Twitter. Our handle is at ReppinPodcast. And get behind-the-scenes photos and see who's coming up next on our Instagram page at Reppin underscore podcast. To my technical director and musical composer, Nelson Pinero, thank you for your talent and time. And always thank you to Gracie Kong for being my constant. Reppin' is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Till next time, stand up and represent.
0: Wander with us into a world of magic.